Hello and welcome to a post-trade deadline edition of the Who Says No podcast. We had a flurry of deals today and we need to dissect them. My name is Colin Ward-Henninger. I'm one of your hosts. I'm a writer at CBS Sports. And with me, as almost always, is Sam Quinn, the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who wrote about 68,000 stories today. That's no exaggeration. Sam, how are you feeling after this trade deadline? Are you going to survive? Are you on life support? Colin, there was like a nice little hop in your step with that hello. Like you sound surprisingly spry today. Like have these trades rejuvenated rejuvenated you a little bit? There's a few we've talked about. There's a few days you get excited for a little bit more than others during the NBA season, the trade deadline being one of them. So, uh, you know, I got to bring the energy. Yeah, I think I'm going to need like a finger transplant. Not feeling great after all the writing today, but this is why we get paid the medium bucks, right? Not so big. We're like lower middle. I don't know. This we don't like to compare. We, we get paid, but we get paid. paid. You know, who cares? Who um, cares what other people make? So I'm tired, but I'm also wired and ready to talk some trades. Tired and wired. I like it. So we're not going to beat around the bush today. Nobody has time for that. We're just basically going to go through what we feel are the most important trades of the day in somewhat of an order and kind of give our analysis and say, you know, what happened? Why is it important? I think that's kind of what people want right now. So Let's just get started. And the weird thing about this trade deadline, Sam, is that the most important move was perhaps a move that was not made. And that is Kyle Lowry not being traded. We were on this podcast less than 24 hours ago talking about how, hey, if we know one thing, it's that Kyle Lowry is going to get traded tomorrow. And he is gone and went and is now still a Toronto Raptor. So WTF, Sam, what's going on? I don't have a good explanation for you because once they traded Norm Powell, I think the idea was very much, we're going to retool. We're going to use our cap space this off season to bring in outside guys. And if that's the case, you're not bringing Lowry back. I don't know why you keep him. I mean, maybe the offers weren't great. We don't know exactly what the offers were. We have a vague idea that the Lakers offered Dennis Schroeder and Contavious Caldwell Pope without Talon Horton Tucker. We don't know what Miami's offer was, but we assume that Duncan Robinson was in it. Those aren't terrible offers. They're not great, but they're better than nothing. If you're going to lose him in the offseason, I mean, I guess they're really into the idea of crashing the playoff party and trying to be an upset team in round one. Is that it? Because I don't have a, I don't have a good explanation here. Like, what's going through your head here? Well, I would imagine that they probably took the, took the temperature of Kyle Lowry and asked him, you know, this offseason, like, what are you thinking? Like, are you gone? Do you want to stay? Do you maybe want to stay? And it sounds like to me, if he was definitely leaving, they would have done a trade, right? I mean, at least that's what I have to think. So I at least get the sense that maybe Kyle Lowry is thinking, I'm going to re-up. We've talked about, you know, maybe he'll do a one-year deal, something like that, uh, run it back again. Uh, and, And look, the Raptors are really bad this year, but they're not a bad team, right? So like when they have all their pieces back, healthy and hopefully they're back in Toronto next season, not playing in Tampa. Uh, this is a team that can contend in the Eastern conference. I mean, they proved that in the bubble. So well, yeah, go what ahead. What does contend mean for you? Right? Like last year they were the two seed. They lost their two best big men. Lowry is a year older. We probably assume they outperformed their town a little bit last season. I also want to just argue that financially speaking, this is pretty dangerous for Lowry Because we probably assumed that whoever traded for him today was going to be the team that re-signed him to a market value deal this offseason. 
if he's back in Toronto, maybe the Raptors do just re-sign him. I don't think that that's their plan. I don't think you carve out max cap space and trade Norm Powell if your plan is to just keep Lowry because at that point you'd keep Powell too. But if the Raptors don't re-sign him, let me just take you through these seven teams with, as of right now, this can always change, at least $25 million in practical cap space this offseason. Could the Knicks give that to him? Maybe. I don't think that's a great idea. I mean, it's not like he would go there and win anything. Would the Thunder give it to him? No. Would the Spurs give it to him? No. The Raptors, we've already mentioned. I mean, that's an entirely different situation. Would the Hornets give it to him? No. Would the Heat give it to him? That is the most interesting question because Victor Oladipo now basically has a three-month head start on Lowry for Miami's cap space, right? Like, Well, depending we on how you look at it, it could be a three-month well, head start or it could be a tryout period where if you don't perform, we can go in a different direction. But here's my point. Oladipo versus Lowry in the offseason would have gone to Lowry. If the Heat could have had the choice between the two, they would have signed Kyle Lowry. But if Victor Oladipo is great for them, they'll just keep him, and that will no longer be an option for Lowry. Philly isn't an option either because they won't have cap space. The last few teams here, Memphis, not going to give him $25 million a year. I mean, they have John Morant. Dallas, maybe. I mean, they did try to sign Kemba Walker a couple years ago, but... If you have Luca, who's 22, do you really want to be paying a 35-year-old $25 million a year? I, I don't think so, right? Like, I'm struggling to find who the team out there with this much cap space is going to pay Lowry. Like, I, I don't know who it is if it's not Toronto or Miami. And I think there's a good argument that it won't be Toronto or Miami. So if I were Lowry, I would have pushed to get to Philly or pushed to get to the Lakers because they at least would have had his bird rights and would have needed to keep him because they would have had no way to replace him. Maybe the guy just really likes Toronto, you know. Maybe uh, he's not—he's got a title, like you know. He doesn't need—he doesn't, need doesn't need a title to validate his career. So I think you know, he likes it there. He—he he likes his team. He likes his coach. And I—I I guess I wouldn't be—you know—I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, yeah, if you trade me, you trade me with whatever's best for the franchise. But I, I don't mind coming back. Well, the idea for him is he apparently wants a two-year, fifty-million-dollar extension. I think his goal should have been get to a team that is best situated to give him that money. He didn't do that. He stayed with the Raptors. And again, maybe the Raptors do just keep him for a year. I don't think that's what they're planning, especially because this is really their last shot at cap space, right? Like we'll get to the Norm Powell trade later, but the reason Gary Trent Jr. was available is because he's about to get expensive. So they're not going to have another shot at max cap space. This is their time to add another younger core piece I would presume they would rather do that than pay Lowry. So if it's not Toronto, I mean, I think he might have cost himself some money. I think we also need to talk about the teams that didn't do this. How do you feel about this for Philly? How do you feel about this for Miami? And I will monologue on the Lakers so we can save that. You've got a lot of thoughts on the Lakers. I well, have a lot of things to say. I uh, George Hill for Philly. George Hill is a, a decent uh, backup plan, I think. He obviously doesn't move the needle the way that Lowry would. So uh, I think we've talked about this on our last or our previous podcast where we thought that the acquisition of Lowry would at least make the 76ers closer to Brooklyn. We still I think the consensus was Brooklyn would still be better, but at least they would have a puncher's chance. I think, I think now it, that, it would have put them somewhere between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Like they, they probably would have been better than the Bucks, but they would have been worse than the Mets. 
So you think without Lowry, the Sixers are worse than the Bucks? Yes, especially wow. now they've gotten P.J. Tucker. I think right now, I, we'll, we'll see with Miami. If Oladipo is his old self, then we'll have another conversation. Right now, I, I think the only team in the East that has a puncher's chance against Brooklyn is Milwaukee. That's interesting because the 76ers have the presumptive NBA MVP in Joel Embiid. And, and he might be the third best player in that series. Like Durant's better, Harden's better. It's a good point, but we haven't seen. I, I guess so. I guess what I'm thinking is like if the Bucks defense, like the whole switching thing, like isn't shored up by the playoffs, which it could be. It's getting better. Obviously, Tucker helps that. But like, I think the 76ers have as good a chance as anybody with Ben Simmons and the way that they play defense and the way that Joel Embiid protects the rim of somewhat stopping the Brooklyn Nets on offense. And you know, obviously, offensively, they're not probably even close to the Nets' the Nets level, but I think the way that they play defense and keeping the game close and, you know, hopefully Embiid goes crazy in the fourth quarter at least gives them a shot. I just don't know. I'm not saying I disagree with you that Milwaukee's better than them, but it was a little bit surprising to me that you were just kind of like, yeah, Milwaukee's better. I felt Milwaukee and Philly were around even before the Tucker trade, and, I mean, as we've discussed, I love the Tucker trade. I would have loved it if Philly had gotten Lowry and George Hill because – the, the George Hill trade was like pretty low cost for them, right? It's Tony Bradley. I think I can't remember who the matching salary was. And then a couple second round picks like that's that's not that much. Like that was just a nice little bench acquisition. If you would have gone in all on Lowry after that, like that's a pretty, pretty good top seven, right? Like, let me just ask you something hypothetically. I think we know who Philly's top six in the playoffs are. It's the five starters and now George Hill. How do you think the rest of the rotation shakes out for them between Milton, Maxi, Thibel, Scott, and Dwight? Like, how are they managing those five? I, I'm thinking Thibel gets a lot of minutes just, be, just because they need to to put him on people. If there's one I have to pick to drop out, well, I I don't see a lot of Maxi at all. And honestly, I don't know if I see that much Milton. Like, Dwight has proven that he can be, you know, whatever he needs to be, the agitator, the offensive rebounder guy. In the playoffs, I think he'll be just fine doing that. But uh, I, I don't trust Shake Milton in the playoffs. But, you know, that's just me. Maybe he's gotten better. But Let I do see a lot of time. Why doesn't Ben Simmons play a backup center in the playoffs, especially against the Nets? Like, what does Dwight really do for you in a Nets series? It's not like he can get on the perimeter and defend Kyrie Irving. I say if you're, if you're the Sixers, when Embiid goes to the bench, which have been problematic minutes for them forever, right? Like, Dating back to when he played 31 games as a rookie, they have always gotten killed when Embiid's gone to the bench. Why not just say these are the Ben Simmons point center? He's going to protect the rim and he's going to play with four shooters, and that's how we're going to survive when Embiid goes to the bench. I think I that's mean, what they should do. It, it's not a terrible idea. It's certainly not ruled out. You see teams making playoff adjustments all the time, but I think if you're going to do something like that, you should at least like do it a little bit in the regular season, and they really haven't. So. I mean, we saw a team like the Lakers, right, that that was their identity. They were big and long and they played JaVale and Dwight. And then occasionally they would go to Anthony Davis at center for crunch time. So uh, I think it's not out of the question for the Sixers to, you know, kind of want to stick with that identity and say that we're a defensive team. This is how we play. Um, But if they want to go to that Simmons at center lineup, I think they need to do it a little bit more in the regular season to try to try to figure out the kinks. I think Doc Rivers' strategy this year, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with it. I know what he's, or I think I get what he's getting at. 
is he has really tried to tether Simmons and Embiid as much as possible for the sake of improving their chemistry. And the exact opposite of what Brett Brown did. Right. But the idea there, I mean, it makes sense because you're going to have to play at a bare minimum, like something like 25 minutes per game in the playoffs with Embiid and Simmons on the floor together, probably more. So even if it costs you regular season games, I, I get the idea, right? You're trying to make sure that when it counts, those two are as comfortable together as possible. The downside to that is that you're not really cultivating great bench lineups. Like they have these five man bench mobs that just get absolutely destroyed when like their, their whole offense is like Dwight post-ups or like, I don't know, Mike Scott shooting threes. Like it's just not that enticing. So I'm worried they're going to get to the playoffs and they'll probably change the rotation up then. But at that point you won't really have lineups that make sense and that have cohesion together because they'll never have played together. So I'd be a little worried about that. I think George Hill helps. I think George Hill is a very nice connecting piece on bench units because he can do a little bit of playmaking and play off the ball and shoot good enough defender. Like he's easy to fit into these lineups. I don't know without Lowry what the version of that team is that's talented enough to stick with Brooklyn. I I think you're right. And I think basically what you're getting at is that like the the Sixers offense just isn't that good. And like, even when those guys are on the court, sometimes it's a slog. And you know, when Embiid's off the court, it's like Tobias Harris has been much better this year. And he's been, you know, as you mentioned, the doc is playing Simmons and Embiid together so much. That means Tobias is kind of carrying the second unit and he's been really, really good this year. But I don't, you know, it's just not a lot of punch on the floor and against a team like the Nets, where you're always going to have two of Irving, Harden, and and Durant on the floor, you're going to need a lot more punch than that. So, I mean, that's one team that missed out on Lowry. The other one uh, is the Heat, and it sounds like, to me, uh, judging by what they got Victor Oladipo for, the price just got a little too steep, and they were like, look, we don't want to get rid of Duncan Robinson if we don't have to, and they just ended up with Oladipo. So we can actually just segue right into that trade uh, if you're done with Lowry. Oh, wait, I we, didn't one talk last... about, we didn't do your no, no. on the Lakers. Well, well, let's talk about Lowry and Oladipo together. I have one last point on Philly. Their saving grace, and we'll get to this with the Lakers too if we talk about Andre Drummond, is that Philly's starting five is spectacular. Simmons, Curry, Green, Harris, and Bede, 811 possessions plus 15.1 net. Like, it might be that simple, and maybe that they've just had so many injuries and so many COVID cases that we haven't seen enough of that fivesome that maybe that's the championship favorite that's kind of been hiding in plain sight. But I personally thought they needed Lowry, but let's get to Miami. I like them not getting Lowry because I know that they can get Lowry in the off season. I didn't think even with Lowry, they were probably going to win the East. Like I thought they were still worse than Brooklyn. So it's kind of comforting for us. Like we were talking about this off pod, how like, we're now at a point in our lives where NBA players are younger than us. You know, we're not really at our athletic some, peak so much anymore. younger than others. It's some, some people it's, it's rare to find NBA players older than them, but continue. It's comforting. I think to know that there are NBA players who have just as little trade value as we do. And that is what <laughs> we learned about Victor Oladipo today because he got traded for nothing. He got traded for cat filler. Like, they threw in a 2022 first round swap. Call me crazy. I think the Rockets are going to be worse than the Heat in 2022. Um, but they could swap it if they want to. Okay, congratulations. Like, remember when the Clippers traded for Marcus Morris 
and the Knicks demanded 2021 swap rights with the Clippers. Like, were they really going to use those? <laughs> never know, man. I just never, never know. Nice. Like, it's a bonus, but it's not real value because it's not actually going to, it's not actually going to play into things. So, I mean, if you want to look at this in the simplest possible terms, you could argue that every roster spot that the Heat lost, they upgraded at, right? Like, Let's go through the, the big men. Kelly Olenek. Is Nemanja Bielitsa better than him? Divan, maybe? Like, it's about... I think you could argue that Bielitsa is better. He's a better three-point shooter. Well, Marcus Aldridge isn't there yet, but I think we assume they're the favorite. Is he better than Myers Leonard? Well, Myers Leonard was out for the year, so I'm inclined to say yes. Mo Harkless has barely played this year and has been bad when he's played. Is Trevor Ariza an upgrade over him? Yes. Victor Oladipo, even in his compromised state, was averaging 20 points a game and playing not bad defensively, that is a massive upgrade over the Avery Bradley that they had, right? Like, Avery Bradley's a good player. He'd been hurt. He just hadn't played much. He hadn't been very good for them. They gave up nothing to get these upgrades. A couple of second-round picks. That's it. They still have Tyler Hero. They still have Duncan Robinson. And I think you could argue that they're probably right now not a championship contender, at least unless we see Oladipo turn back the clock and be the player he was in Indiana. But does it really matter? They got significantly better, and they gave themselves a lot more upside for nothing. It's incredible. I know, they continue to do this, and it, it's really, really impressive. And not only are they getting all those upgrades that you mentioned, basically, but they're also getting Oladipo, who we have known, or at least you know, the rumors have been circulating, that he wants to go to Miami. So if anybody has incentive to play well, buy into the system— you know, do what he needs to do to impress the team. It's Old Depot if he wants to stay there. So I'm guessing we're going to get a, a rejuvenated player. This is a guy who was probably not that happy in Indiana. He certainly was not happy in Houston losing 20 games in a row. So uh, not only are you getting Oladipo, I think you're going to be getting a very good version of Oladipo. So uh, like you said, I don't think this makes them better than Brooklyn. They're probably not even, you know, getting that close to Brooklyn. But in terms of moving forward and upgrades at the trade deadline, you can't do much better than what the Heat just did. Well, let me throw something else out at you. If the Heat had signed Oladipo for the 20-some-odd million that he wants this offseason, they would have had to clear off all of their cap holds. Like, they wouldn't have been able to keep Goran Dragic. I mean, I guess they traded Olenek, they traded Leonard, they traded basically all of the possible salary fillers besides Dragic. But, like, now that they have Oladipo in the building— they can just operate above the cap, keep Goran Dragic, keep Duncan Robinson, keep Kendrick Nunn with basically no downside. And the other advantage to that is let's say Oladipo is very good for them and they pay him whatever expensive amount they want to keep him. If they then re-sign Dragic and they then re-sign Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn for market value deals, they suddenly have a lot of valuable matching salary to throw out for whoever else is the next star that becomes available, right? Like, now suddenly you can keep the Oladipo Butler at a bio core and then separately say, hey, Washington, we'll give you Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic and Tyler Hero for Bradley Beal. And they could keep all those guys because they didn't need to go under the cap to sign Oladipo. So this gives them a lot of flexibility. I mean, I can't speak highly enough about this trade. It's an A plus for Miami. I don't think it wins to the title, but I don't think it needs to. Sometimes you can just make good trades that get you good players and if your goal is to win, even if it doesn't win you the championship, those are still good trades. 
Yeah, and we talked about in the last podcast, like Miami made the finals last year, so you know people were thinking, oh, well, what happened? They they took a big step backwards this year. And it's like maybe they didn't take a huge step back. Maybe they're just not uh, a championship contender right now. And if that's the case, then getting a guy like Oladipo is fine. Like like you said, Lowry doesn't necessarily you know push you over the top. So if you have to get rid of Duncan Robinson, or and I think they wanted Tyler Hero, but they obviously weren't going to do that, and that was kind of the holdup, but. Uh, if you don't have to do any of that and you get a guy like Oladipo and upgraded all these positions, I, I think you're in pretty good shape. And I think their long-term outlook, if Oladipo is like, and I think we agree that Oladipo is never going to be the best player on a good team again. If Oladipo can be their fourth best player and all of a sudden, let's say next trade deadline, they're dangling a package of Hero, Robinson, Dragic, whatever first round capital they can muster and like maybe pressures it to it, like, Maybe they get another star and suddenly they have like a four-headed monster there. Like I, I just – they're in a great position. This was fantastic work by Miami as always. I mean when do the Heat make bad decisions? Like they, they nailed it. I have nothing negative to say. Great work. And they must have like uh, – you know I've seen a couple of tweets. That they just must have been so patient just waiting it out. It's like, oh, well, okay, you don't, you don't want our offer? That's fine. That's fine. The deal was reported eight minutes after the deadline. Yeah. Like go ahead. No, see what you can get. No, we're good. Just call us back when you're ready. So, and then Houston just sheepishly <laughs> picks up the phone. Hey, uh, you, you still want to do the Bradley Olenek thing? Okay, okay, yeah, we'll take it. So my one question, I think we have to acknowledge in basketball terms that this isn't an ideal offensive fit because Oladipo, 32% three-point shooter, bam, never takes threes. Jimmy Butler now never takes threes. I think you're probably okay given all the motion they have, given all the ball movement they have, and the fact that your other two guys could be Hero and Robinson or, you know, Hero and Bielitsa or Robinson and Dragic. Like, they have plenty of shooting elsewhere, but that trio, is, it's a little cramped for my taste. But if any coach is going to make it work, it's Bolstra. Like, I'm not worried about their offense. Yeah. And, it, you know, in his, in his prime years, Oladipo was shooting like 37, 36 percent from three. So it's, you know. It's manageable. He's not like a non-shooter, especially He'll if he's... He'll have better motivated. shots in Miami than he did in Houston. Exactly. So, you know, uh, nothing less to say about Miami. I mean, they crushed it. Do you want to do your uh, Lowry right. Lakers thing? Let me let me take a sip of water. Let me prepare. Like, you if actually there, brought the water you with you? Say, if there's anything you want to say, say it now, because you might not speak again for a little while. So just get it out while I take the sip of water. I just want to let everyone know that Sam told me that when he would would get water before our podcast, he would go to the refrigerator, fill up the glass of water, chug the whole thing, put the glass down, and then come do the podcast rather than filling up the water glass and taking it with him to the podcast. I thought that was one of the strangest things I've ever heard in my okay. life. Yeah. Counterpoint. <laughs> How many times on this podcast had we talked about my water drinking habits before I shared that with you? I would argue if I had just continued doing that, we wouldn't have just wasted a minute talking about my water habits. So, well, you were sipping you know water. What? You told me to stall. Well, I was. I was I this, is, this is what pros do. You're like, I wouldn't some have time. been sipping that water if you didn't criticize my drinking habits. And by the way, it's weird to say my drinking habits and be talking about water, but like the literal drinking habits. But anyway, hey, you said on this podcast, all you drink is water and alcohol. Deep breath. I'm upset. As somebody who has a vested interest in the Lakers winning championships, I mean, my, my dream, not my dream, but a thing that I am invested in as an NBA reporter is I would like LeBron James to get to six championships 
not because I am particularly fond of him. I mean, I am. I enjoy watching LeBron fine. I just think it would be really healthy for the discourse if LeBron and Michael Jordan had the same number of championships, because I think that would force us to talk about actual basketball and not just default to, oh, one is six, one is four. I think that would force us to like actually debate their merits as players. Getting Kyle Lowry probably would have got LeBron at least to five, right? Like, will you agree with me? I will rope you in and give you a chance to at least say the word yes. How heavily would they have been favored for you if they got Lowry? Like, would you have picked them to win it all pretty comfortably? I think you're a little more confident about them winning. I think they certainly would have been the favorite, but I don't know if it would have been like the lock that you seem to think it is. I don't know that it would have been a lock, but I'll put it this way. If you would have asked me to pick that series, I would have picked Lakers over Nets in six. I wouldn't have taken it to seven. It would have been a good series, but I think you cannot ask for a better third banana for a LeBron Anthony Davis team than Kyle Lowry. Elite shooter, elite defender, can play off of the balls very easily. He can lead bench units. I mean, this has been a problem for the Lakers for years, that whenever LeBron goes to the bench, even when Anthony Davis is in the game, the offense just dies. And this has been a big problem now with LeBron out with a high ankle sprain and Davis out with um, with his, I think, calf injury. They are getting killed every single game right now to the point where they might like they might feasibly end up in the play in. Right. Like if they go one in 11 or like one in 12 or two and 13 or whatever with LeBron and AD out, like it's not inconceivable that they have to win a play in game just to get into the playoffs. Getting Kyle Lowry, you avoid that. You get a perfect third piece for LeBron and Anthony Davis. You also clear your salary a fair bit because Lowry only wants a two-year extension. Dennis Schroeder seems to want like the freaking max. Like he seems to want like four years and a hundred million. You could have structured the salaries in such a way that with LeBron and Lowry coming off of the books in 2023, you just get a soft reboot. Then you just have max cap space and Anthony Davis to rebuild this team. Instead, what they decided was ultimately that they weren't willing to give up Taylor Horton Tucker. And you know what? Taylor Horton Tucker is a good player. I'm not going to deny his potential. I'm not going to slander him as a player. I am going to say that he is 20 years old. And usually, not always, but usually, 20-year-olds do not help you win NBA championships. 20-year-olds are nice to have because when they're 24 and 25, that's when they start to help you win championships, right? We saw this with Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma is in the middle of his breakout season. He's 25. Like, this did not happen overnight. I think the fact that the Lakers got away with not trading Kyle Kuzma last year probably informed their decision to keep Taylor Horton Tucker today because they kept Kuzma. It worked out. They won the title. And now they have a much better young player than they otherwise would have had if they would have dealt him. The issue is winning this year's title is going to be a lot harder. The competition is better. You're not in a bubble. You're presumably going to have to play game sevens on the road, given their awful presumed record with AD and LeBron out. You know, LeBron is a year older. You don't know how long this window is going to last. Davis is an injury risk. He might get hurt again in the playoffs. There are just so many reasons why this team needed to be all in on winning this year and next year. Those are your chances to get championship number two and maybe number three and get LeBron up to six total titles. I think they can still do it now. Like, I think they're, it's a toss-up against Brooklyn. Like, I think that series could go either way. But they had a chance to get an all-star. How often do defending champions have a chance 
to add an all-star, not in his prime, but still playing like it. Like Kyle Lowry is still a star. And they didn't do it because they wanted to keep the number 43 overall pick in last year's draft, who has played 800 total minutes in his career. Like, I'm sorry, that's a bad decision. It might work out. The Lakers have so much talent that they might win the championship anyway. And if that happens, we're going to hear a lot of like, oh, look how smart the Lakers are. Look how genius Rob Polinka is for keeping his young talent and winning anyway. Like, this is no guarantee. You had a chance to, in as much as it's possible, not give yourself a lock of a title, but make yourself the strongest possible favorite you could be. And they chose not to do it. And I'm sorely disappointed in that. I think it's going to make it significantly harder for LeBron to chase number five and number six. And I don't know. I I think it's 50-50 with them and the Nets. It didn't have to be. You're going to need another glass of water, man. Yeah, you talk while I drink. So I I was jotting down some notes during your little rant there. Uh, First of all, uh, LeBron getting six isn't going to make any difference because Jordan was six for six, and that's all people are ever going to bring up. LeBron lost so many times in the finals. Jordan never lost, so you're never going to win that battle. Uh, We were talking about how far the Lakers could fall. They are three games ahead of the ninth seed in the loss column. So just keep that in mind. Um, They have played a lot more games than the Grizzlies and Spurs, though, so uh, kind of misleading. Um, Counterpoint to everything you're saying about picking up or, you know, not going in for Kyle Lowry. Counterpoint is if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy, I think they still think they're the favorites. So why compromise the future when you think you're going to win the title anyway? Can I make an argument that I don't think their future with Taylor Norton Tucker is that bright? Look I, at all dude, of their I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't I don't get why Taylor Horton Tucker and Dennis Schroeder are like the future of the Lakers. That's very confusing so, to me. This offseason, Dennis Schroeder, Alex Caruso, Taylor Horton Tucker, Montrez Harrell are all free agents. The Lakers are going to have to pay to keep. I mean, they'd like to keep all of them. I, we've talked about why Harrell is unlikely, but. Let's say they re-sign Taylor Horton Tucker, they re-sign Alex Caruso, and they re-sign Dennis Schroeder. They already have Kyle Kuzma on a market value contract. They already have KCP on a market value contract. That's your team then. You're capped out. If you have Davis and all of those other guys, that's your team. And even with LeBron James, they are not a guaranteed championship favorite, right? Like Brooklyn is good enough that even with LeBron, that team might not win the title. If you might not win it, with a LeBron that is close to his prime, what are you going to be when LeBron is gone? That's my question. Why is a Dennis Schroeder, Talon Horton Tucker backcourt so appealing? Why is the potential of Kyle Kuzma as your second best player so appealing? This was a way to escape that purgatory. This was a way to set yourself up to sign another star to play with Davis in 2023. I would argue as much as this was a trade for the present, Rarely does making a trade for a 35-year-old help your future. In this case, I think it would have. I think it would have put them in a position where in 2023, they would have had max cap space and they would have Anthony Davis in his prime and they would have been able to go to any star free agent and say, come be the savior. Come be the guy who helps keep the Anthony Davis era going. You'll be a hero in Los Angeles. You'll live in the best city in the NBA. You'll compete for titles. Like, What an appealing sales pitch that would have been. And now they don't get to make it. We have now spent... What, 45% of our podcast talking about the Lakers when they didn't even make a trade at the trade deadline? Well, that's the other thing. People are going to be really upset with us. There are other players they could have traded for. I don't know if the Raptors strung them along and wouldn't give them an answer until the moment before the deadline. But, like, 
We'll get to Orlando. Orlando was selling off everything that wasn't nailed down. Terrence Ross would have been really helpful for the Lakers. Or look at Detroit, right? Like they didn't get a trade for Wayne Ellington. The Lakers couldn't have sent Alfonso McKinney in a second round pick to Detroit for him. Get another shooter. Like there were other trades that they could have made. But I think they ended up getting so fixated on Kyle Lowry. When, by the way, the moment they said we're not including uh, Talon Horton Tucker, they should have known at that point we're not getting him. So let's move on to other people. And it doesn't seem like they did. Yeah. Well, they, I, you know, they probably think they, they're probably getting trouble in the buyout market. Ellington's another guy who could end up on, or will, probably will end up in the buyout market. So, um, you know, he's not bought out. Ellington isn't. To be clear. Mm, okay, we'll see. Um, about Drummond, though, do you think Drummond actually helps them now? Because Anthony Davis is going to play a lot of center in the playoffs. They already have Marcus Saul, who, for all of the criticism he gets from, I'm just going to say it, casuals who don't understand how good he is. Ouch. The starting lineup was Schroeder, KCP, LeBron, AD, and Gasol, plus 13.9 for 100 possessions. Like that lineup is killing it. And we hear all these insiders. How many times have we heard Brian Windhorst in the past couple of weeks say, the Lakers are going to get Andre Drummond or Andre Drummond. They think they can get Andre Drummond because they think they can offer him a starting role. Why are you breaking up that starting lineup? What does Andre Drummond do for that group? All he's going to do is take minutes away from Harold and Gasol, who I don't know, I think on balance or if not better than Drummond, a similar caliber of player, but fit better and have been in the system all year. I don't know what Drummond really does for you other than maybe log some regular season minutes. I mean, it's a good point. We really haven't seen Drummond in a playoff setting in a while, so I'm not quite sure what he's going to bring. Uh, I think more than anything, it's kind of getting back to that, like we were talking about, like the JaVale, Dwight, like at least just be like a physical, intimidating presence. You're going to out-rebound him. You're going to be big. You're going to be long. Uh, and also a little bit of a contingency because Gasol was was not good in the playoffs last year for the Raptors. So. If he starts to go that way, I know you said the numbers are really good for that starting lineup, but, uh, you know, it, it gives you another option if you don't want to start AD at center for the entire playoffs. So um, enough Lakers, man. What's your you think they lost the championship by not getting Kyle Lowry? No, or you, yeah. I want to be absolutely clear. I think the Lakers and the Nets are in a class by themselves and are about even like if I were to distribute percentage points, I would say that the Lakers and the Nets. Both have something like a 30% chance to win the championship. And then the rest of the NBA is dividing the 40% from there. But I think if the Lakers had gotten Lowry, they would have gone above 50%. Well, another team that hopes to be above 50% at this point, probably not, uh, the Denver Nuggets, who made a very, very big move today. And, uh, you know, we've talked on the podcast about where we wanted Aaron Gordon to go. And I think we both agreed that Denver would be an awesome spot for him. And lo and behold, they finally trade Gary Harris, uh, R.J. Hampton, and a future first-round pick, and they get Aaron Gordon, who kind of fills that that Jeremy Grant role as a you know a four who can shoot the three, put the ball on the floor a little bit, and obviously be that long, versatile, quick, strong defender that they need uh, come playoff time with all the the perimeter talent and and, and big talent in the Western Conference. So uh, I personally think that this was a huge move for the Nuggets, and I think if they're looking up. In the standings, and they're seeing what the Lakers are going through. The Clippers are kind of, uh, you know, wishy-washy, kind of a mess right now. Um, you know, they beat the Jazz last year in the playoffs. I don't think they're scared of them. I don't think they're scared of Phoenix. Say, we have Nikola Jokic, we have Jamal Murray, and now we add this extra piece along with Michael Porter Jr. I think they have to be really confident right now. 
I love it for them. I mean, I'll just share a prediction that I made on Twitter after the trade. I think the Nuggets are going to win one of the next five championships. I don't know when. I don't think this year is particularly likely, but I think this was exactly the trade that they needed to make. I'll be honest, and I'm curious about your opinion on this. I think he's a better fit for them than Jeremy Grant was. I think he's a better defender. He's a better athlete, which that's just something that they've never had. They've never had, except for, I mean, Kenneth Fareed, if you go far enough back. But, like, Nikola Jokic, the best passing big man in the NBA, maybe the best passer in the NBA, has never really had a lob threat. Now he does. Now he has somebody who can really take advantage of all the space everybody else in that offense creates. As a cutter, just in general, I think that's just going to be a beautiful fit on both sides of the floor. Not a great shooter, but Jeremy Grant is a good shooter, not a great one. I mean, I think he has looked better in Denver with all of the space that they provide. I mean, well, Gordon will too, right? I mean, Gordon is going from playing with like DJ Augustine and Markel Fultz to Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic. The quality of shots he's going to get in Denver is significantly better than they were in Orlando. How do you think he compares to Grant, first and foremost? Like, this win-lose or draw for them before you factor in the other assets they had to give up? I think Grant is, well, Gordon is closer to what Grant is now with Detroit than what Grant was with Denver. And that's not his fault. That was just the role that he was given. So I think it's going to be kind of a balance between Gordon, who, who comes from Orlando, where he's used to shooting step back threes and, and shooting off the dribble and, and kind of trying to run the offense to to being in this role where he's going to have to be more of a role player. And I think that's going to be an adjustment for him. I think when Jeremy Grant was there before he went to Detroit, obviously, he was in that mold where he's like, OK, I, I'm a role player. I know I have to do this, this and this. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge, um, I think, physically. And skill-wise, uh, I like Gordon better personally uh, than what Grant was last year. But I think it will take a certain amount of buy-in and and commitment from Gordon. Because you look at a guy like Michael Porter Jr., at the end of games, it's Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic on offense and Porter Jr. standing in the corner if he's even in the game. So Gordon isn't going to be a big part of this offense. And he's going to have to be able to to say, look, I'm willing to take a, a lesser role and I'm willing to bust my ass on defense in order to win a championship. And that's not something that he's had to do in his career. So I, I just want to see it play out a little bit before we make a judgment. I think he'll be a big part of the offense. He just won't be a big part of the last few minutes of the that's offense. What, yeah, like, that's what I mean, like crunch time. Right, like, although I will say, like, there's a lot of room in that Jokic-Murray pick-and-roll dance for a backdoor cutter to sneak in behind the big man rising up to the level of the screen. So... I don't know. Like, I think he could, if he learns to move off of the ball well enough, I think he could be pretty helpful for them later in games. He'll probably spend a fair bit of time in the dunker spot just because he's not a great shooter, but he's not terrible either. I mean, I think you could make a strong argument that Grant is a better player just based on what we've seen in Detroit this year, but that Gordon makes more sense for them. What they ultimately needed out of that spot more than anything was a super athletic defender somebody that you could credibly throw at LeBron, Kawhi, Durant in the finals, maybe. And we saw this in the Western Conference Finals. Like, LeBron had his way with Jeremy Grant. LeBron was not worried about Jeremy Grant. Aaron Gordon is a good deal stronger. He's more athletic. I think he's a better fit for what they needed. Yeah, and like I said, I think I would love if he just 100% buys in. We kind of don't know what to make of Aaron Gordon just because he's been you know, floundering in Orlando all these years and playing the wrong position and all this stuff. So uh, I'm really excited to see what he's able to do. And I, I, more than anything, I'm just really excited that Denver 
finally actually made a move. I mean, they've been sitting on this Gary Harris, Will Barton, you know, bowl, bowl, whatever, uh, for a long time. And they, they haven't made a move yet. So I'm glad to see them actually go in and say, look, we're actually going to try to, to do something and make some waves here. Cause it was clear that their defense wasn't good enough. Like that was just a fact. So getting a guy like Gordon, if they can get him to buy in, like we talked about, I think this, this takes him to another level. I do have one more question about Denver. I think we now know four of their five long-term starters. Who do you think the long-term shooting guard is? Or do you think it's not on the roster yet? Are you saying it's not Faku Campazzo? I'm going to go ahead and venture guess that Faku Campazzo <laughs> is not going to be a 30-minute-a-game starting shooting guard. But what? Like, How dare you? I, Will Barton is a little inconsistent for my taste. And I think part of the benefit of making this trade was that this season especially – a lot of the supporting cast was starting to feel a little stale. It seemed like they needed a little bit of new blood. I think that getting Gary Harris out, Gary Harris was very good for them for a long time. That was probably helpful. I think that was probably for the best for them. I think Monty Morris is a little small to be a starting shooting guard, especially because Murray is small too. Yeah, he's, a, back, is, he's a backup point guard. He's a very good backup, but he's yeah, a backup. He's awesome, but yeah. Will Barton. He, he's miscast if he's your starting shooting guard. Will Barton is he's just too inconsistent for me and his defense. I mean, it's gotten to a point where it's like, he's a decent enough defender now. Like he's not going to hurt you. I think their ideal, like who is the 26 year old Danny green that they could trade for? Like, who is that guy out there? They could find to like complete their starting five. Like, I don't know who it is, but if they can find that guy, that's when I say like, okay, now we're talking about like a real championship team. Yeah, I think they were hoping that P.J. Dozier was going to kind of develop into that. You know, he's 6'6", he's big, he's long. He can't shoot well enough. He's just, yeah, he hasn't done it. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, well, 38% from three this year, three attempts a game. Um, but he's also, he's been in and out of the lineup. It's a small sample. Yeah, I, I mean, he's not the answer moving forward, but, yeah. Um, right, I mean, yeah. they still have some stuff. Like, they could still trade Zeke Naji. They still have, I believe, I, I don't know exactly where the protections land on this pick, but. I think they still have a tradable first. Like they can go out and get another guy or like Bradley Beal is kind of lingering in the background there. I think they're happy with Porter, but like it's not inconceivable that they go Porter Barton and, you know, one or two other pieces and go get Bradley Beal when he inevitably comes available. Dude, if it, if it came down to trading Porter for Beal, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would do. And my worry about making that trade was that it would leave them with not enough assets to shore up the defense. They already have Gordon now. So that was the hardest defensive piece to get. If they can do Porter for Beal whenever that whenever Beal becomes available, and we probably assume it's this offseason, if that's at all on the table, like do it, collect your championships. That'd be fun. Nuggets on the come up. So now the team that didn't get Aaron Gordon, the Boston Celtics, who were rumored to get Aaron Gordon for you know the past week or so, and uh, at the end of the day, they didn't end up getting him, but they got another Orlando Magic. Is that how you say it? Like, you're an Orlando Magic? So, this is a team-by-team team thing. I've always wondered about this, and I've always heard that people who play in Utah, you are a jazz man if you play for the jazz. A jazz man? That sounds like a, like a 1930s like saxophone player. I don't know what the Heat go by, but I think a lot of them go by Heatle. I think that's since the, the LeBron era, they've kind of adopted that. Like, you are a Heatle. That's great. I don't know what like bar. Can we say? I think I figured this out. If you play for the Magic, you are a magician. <laughs> I do like magicians. It's one or, of the 
biggest points of contention with me and my wife. I like, put other, on some net, Netflix magic shows, and she's like, "What are we? What are we doing?" The other thing that they could do, magician is very synonymous with wizard. If they just wanted to be mean, they could just call themselves, "Oh yeah, we're a wizard. I'm on the magic, so I'm a wizard." Not all wizards, or not all magicians are wizards. So it's like all squares or rectangles like that. They could be a warlock. What is like the underlying thing? Like what is the square of the magic world versus the rectangle? Uh, like a, a per, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think, it, I think I'm going to go with what you initially said, where all wizards are magicians, but not all magicians are wizards. I yeah. think that's what it is. But anyway, they, the, the Celtic John Evan Fournier was the point of the story. Um, they didn't have to give up nearly what they were rumored to have to give up for Aaron Gordon. Uh, the the price for Gordon was reportedly two first round picks and or Marcus Smart, which would have been pretty crazy for Aaron Gordon as as much as I do like him. To get Evan Fournier for Jeff Teague and two second round picks, call me crazy, but I think they might have actually done better here. He fills in the wing position. He's a shooter. He's actually a much better playmaker than a lot of people think. He's averaging a career high in assists this year. Um, is you know him and Vucevic are pretty much the entire Orlando offense for most of the season. So uh, I like it, man. I, I don't know about you know obviously Aaron Gordon would be a better like long term piece, but at least for now, for a struggling Celtics team that was looking to to kind of make a splash, I I kind of like it. What about you? I think there are two prisms through which you need to look at this in the short term, just looking at the deal in a vacuum sense. This is a really good trade. They traded two second-round picks for, I think, an above-average starter. They got somebody who does exactly what they need. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better than a playmaking wing that shoots threes. We went over this on one of the Lakers' pods in the past, but he is quietly a really good shooter, and his wide-open three-point percentages are, like, pretty staggering. I mean, we don't think of Evan Fournier as an elite shooter, but, like, when he's wide open, he hits in the 40s. The issue is he played for Orlando, so he was never wide open. Now he's either the fourth or fifth best offensive player in the Celtics. He's going to get a lot of good shots out of that. He's going to set up the other guys very well. I love the idea of Fournier, Robert Williams, pick and rolls. I think he's never, Fournier has not really played with the hyper-athletic lob finisher. You know, Vucevic is more like the Marcus All school of pick and roll, where it's a lot of like, you know, the pocket passes around the free throw line. Like, I think this is going to open up a lot for him. I think in that sense, He's going to help them a lot this year. I think they were going to lose in the first round of the playoffs before this. Now, I don't know. I, I think they could maybe make a little bit of noise. They'll lose to Brooklyn, but they could beat some other guys. In the longer yeah. term, they gave up Gordon Hayward to get this $28.5 million trade exception. And I'm sorry, Evan Fournier is not as good as Gordon Hayward. And maybe he didn't need to be, but I think you had to, with that trade exception, Get somebody who is going to be a long-term core piece for you. Fournier is a free agent in this offseason. Hopefully they re-sign him. But they went from a guy who was a borderline star to somebody who's not. Somebody who's just a good starter. And maybe that's okay because Tatum and Brown are so good and they are your star power moving forward. Maybe it doesn't matter. But you don't get many chances to get the superstar level guy. And they had one and they downgraded. And that's a little disappointing. Now, we can talk about this as an asset proposition where Fournier is younger, he's usually healthier, and maybe you'd rather have a $15 million a year guy on your books than a $35 million a year guy, right? Like, I personally, I mean, I wrote the headline, 
Gordon Hayward signed one of the worst contracts in the NBA when he signed with the Hornets. <laughs> I stand by it. very well. It was a bad contract. I'm sorry, like he's played well for them, but it was a bad contract for a variety of reasons. Evan Fournier might not be a bad contract. Maybe you'd rather have Evan Fournier at 17 million than Hayward in the 30s. So maybe it's a better asset proposition. I just, I wish they would have gotten Miles Turner or I wish they would have used this trade exception to get somebody who really could have been a third guy for them. In that sense, I'm disappointed, but they got better. Good for them. It was a good trade in a vacuum. Yeah, I'm in on it. And, you know, I don't think this takes them to a, you know, a championship level, but I, I think whatever the Celtics were going through, they needed to get something. They needed a boost. And you did kind of mention in passing, they also traded Daniel Tice, which means we get the Time Lord at starting center, which is one of the most exciting developments of the trade deadline, in my opinion. I This is the best. That, that's probably the best addition by subtraction they could have made, right? Like, well, except getting rid of Tristan Thompson, who apparently the locker room doesn't like. But yeah, I think we're at a point now with, with Robert Williams where we needed to just see two months of him as a 30-minute-a-game starting center. He'd played spot minutes his first two years. There had been flashes. But like, no, now's the time. Now's the time to see if he's your guy. Because if not, this offseason, you got to find somebody else to be your center. I think they're going to like what they see. Robert Williams is awesome, man. I love him. He's such a he's a really good passer, and he's a he's a human highlight machine in in every sort of way. Um, Not fighting from pump fakes quite as often anymore. Like starting to figure out how to play NBA defense. Like when you marry that athleticism with, like he has a great feel for the game. Like you said, it he's an awesome passer, at least for a center. He has a high basketball IQ. I think he just didn't process the game quickly enough early on, but he's starting to come around on that front. Yeah, and it's rare that you get the combination of like elite rim runner, shot blocker, plus high basketball IQ. That's a really unique combination. So good for them. I can't wait to see him play more. Next, Orlando Magic Fire Sale guy, which was not really thought to be part of the fire sale, but boom, one of the first trades of the deadline this morning, Nikola Vucevic, all-star, heading to the Bulls with Al Farouk Aminu. Don't forget that. Um, and the price, I've, I've seen a lot of people saying that the price was like, it was cheap. Uh, I, oh, thought it was, no. I thought it was pretty fair. Wendell Carter Jr. is a, you know, solid young player, Otto Porter matching salary, whatever. And then two first round pig. I, I think that's pretty fair value for Vucevic. Let's talk about that second first round pick. It's in 2023. We don't yet know the protections, but I just want to lay this out. Zach Levine is a free agent in 2022. Where do we think the Bulls are going to be over the next, year, next few years? We can talk about that, but hypothetically, Levine could leave. And if that pick is unprotected, which I would assume Orlando asked for, given how high their asking price seemed to be leading up to the deadline, like you might be giving Orlando a really good pick. If it turns out that Levine is gone and suddenly you're left with a 32-year-old Vucevic as your best player, where do we think they're going to be over the next few years? Like, let's just... Indulge me in this thought exercise. I'm going to go through teams in the East and just you tell me, are the Bulls better or worse than this team this year and next year? This year and next year. Okay, I got it. Philly. No. Milwaukee. No. Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, Miami. No. Boston. No. Atlanta. Maybe. I think if Atlanta keeps John Collins, it's a hard no for me. Yeah. Indiana, if they're healthy. Probably not. Toronto. 
if they keep Lowry, probably not. The Knicks. That this might be our first yes. I got we uh, we don't know what the Knicks are gonna do, so I can't I can't begin to speculate. But that's already I mean what are we at like seven eight teams? Oh already? no, we were at ten I think. Ten? I think we were at either nine or ten. Oh, Charlotte with a healthy Lamelo Ball next year. Ooh. Probably no, right? Like at the very least, I think we can split the East along the 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 fifth seed is like the real cutoff where barring injuries. We assume that in some order, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, and Boston are the five best teams. Yeah. I think Atlanta is a pretty firm six, and I think Indiana of healthy is a pretty firm seven. Yeah. Karis LeVert so, looks really good, by the way. Where is Chicago? Did you give up all this stuff to be a playing team? You were already a playing team. Yeah, but they're going to be a better playing team. You didn't think about that. What's their defense going to be if they have Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, and Laurie Markkinen playing together? That's a good point, and I was kind of surprised that Markkinen wasn't. I, I didn't really and hear Kobe a, White too. anything about him. Yeah, they don't have a lot of good defenders. Um, do you want a monologue about Patrick Williams? I know you love him. I do love him, and it's it's bad because I didn't love him in the draft, and then I saw him play one preseason NBA game. I was like, I was totally wrong about this guy. He's I awesome. I think you're not the only person who feels that I've heard that. I, just, I didn't see a lot of it. I don't watch college basketball. They had a short season. Whatever. I'm not going to make excuses. Um, but, yeah, anything to get Lowry Markkinen off the team so that Pat Williams can take over the, the, the full-time starting power forward role I think would be a good thing for them. Uh, I get why if, if, if they weren't, happy with any offers they were getting from marketing word was they were listening to offers but if they weren't happy with them i get why they would keep them uh see if maybe this new group can make something happen but i mean to your point defensively this is going to be it's going to be bad and the bulls had actually been playing pretty good defense and you know billy dom is a good defensive coach so maybe he'll make something happen um i, I see this as more of a cultural shift to hey look we're trying to be good now we're getting a guy like, look, man, Vucevic is just like the most rock solid NBA player you can possibly have. You know what you're getting every single night. Doesn't complain. Doesn't cause problems. Is going to put up his, you know, 23 and 12 and, and four threes a night. You know, he's just a rock solid guy. And I think those are the type of players that you want when you're trying to make that leap from, uh, you know, hey, maybe we'll make the playoffs to like, hey, now we are a playoff team. And then well, we, we don't think out. they're a playoff team. <laughs> No, well, play in playoff team, you know. Um, I, I think this is going to go very badly for them. And by the way, like, I don't want to sound like this is just the person who always wants to tank and who always thinks, like, you know, the championship or bust, whatever. Like, that's what you are, yeah. Uh, that is what I am. Don't, but don't I, I just, from... Let's just let's put that hat aside for a second. I just don't get this, right? Like, they don't have a top thirty player, right? Like. Is Zach Levine one of the 30 best players in the NBA? Maybe on the fringes. Well, he has to be if he's an all-star, right? Well, I mean, he's an all-star in the East, so like take that for whatever. That's a like, good point. I'd rather have Shea Gildas-Alexander than, than Zach Levine. I'd rather have John Morant than Zach Levine. Hey, one, one second. Zach Levine's been really, really good this year. You have to give him that. He he does not feel the game as well as John Morant does or Shea Gildas-Alexander does. He doesn't defend as well as they do. Like. I, great. He scores his 28 points on his playing team. Like, kudos to Very, him. very efficient this year. Great. Like, look, he's a very good scorer. He's shooting 58% on two-pointers this year. Congratulations, man. 44% like, threes. There's a reason that dude's 19 and 24. Like, I, I, it's that simple to me. Like, I'm not saying, like, I think if he was the second or third best player on a very good team, like, 
I'm not saying he's totally a good stats, bad team guy, but like, he's not going to be an all NBA guy ever. Like he's not somebody who you can look at and confidently say like, he's the person we're building around. He's our star. Like there's, they're, they're a 19 and 24 team for a reason. Like I think they have a lot invested in two guys that are probably better suited as sidekicks. But then, okay, so you look at what they gave up. Wendell Carter clearly wasn't going to be part of their future. Otto Porter had nothing to do with that. Are we sure about that with Carter? I thought Carter was I think they they wanted it. I I think it was like they were just trying to make it happen, and it wasn't going to happen. Like, they wanted him to be like a pick-and-pop guy. They were trying to get him to shoot threes, and he wouldn't shoot them. And then when he did, they didn't go in. And I don't know. They benched him. Uh, I just don't think that it was – it didn't seem like it was working to me. Um, maybe if they would have let him stick around and develop, he would have gotten better. But, you know, he's had trouble staying on the court. I don't know. Of all their young guys, it seemed like he was one of the most expendable. And then it really comes down to the first round picks. And if this is a team that's trying to make the playoffs, are those first round picks really going to be that valuable? Well, let me turn this around. Now you're a team that has to try to make the playoffs. Because if you don't, if you, you can't tank, if you lose Zach Levine in 2022, you have to be good. Like there's no benefit of being bad after that. Like you're looking at a scenario where you might lose your best player and give away the third pick. Uh, I think that, well, one, they're going to have the money to keep Levine. And two, it's not a money thing. Like he might just say, I want to go win. Well, you know, it, it matters if you have a little extra money in the competition. And also I think that's part of the reason why you bring in a guy like Vucevic is that he's a professional and. He's going to make you better in some way, whether it makes a more, you know, a significant impact in the standings or not. And that might go a long way towards convincing a guy like Levine to stick around. So, you know, I, I think they just wanted to show some progress and say, like, hey, look, we're doing something to really try to get better. And that might have isn't, an effect on Levine. Isn't that what the Bulls always do? Isn't that what signing Dwayne Wade was supposed to do? The three alphas? Right, like it wasn't the idea there. Like, oh no, we we want to be competitive, and they're an eight seed, and like, well, it's great. A, it's a it's a new front office. You know, they're taking a different approach, and I I am not as mad at this move as you are. I think I it's know not you're that bad. just I, I don't I don't see the point. They weren't tanking anyway, so it's like you might as well just try to get better. You shouldn't make a move that involves giving away two potentially very valuable first round picks just because. I don't. Know, that's that's where I'm at. Like, I don't know what the plan is there. If your plan is our team is Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, like, great, you'll lose in the first round. I don't think your intention as a team should ever be we'll lose in the first round. Maybe you don't have to go all in on winning the championship every year, but, like, you should have a plan that's building to, like, making you one of the five or six or seven best teams in the NBA. And once you get to that point, let the chips fall where they may. They're never going to be one of the top five or six teams in the NBA. They're probably not going to be one of the top five or six teams in the East. You're a Knicks fan, right? Fan is a strong word. <laughs> just, I, I grew just up saying. You're talking I about teams that just want to make the playoffs and won't ever actually win a championship. I mean, I mean could have got one well, there. Right. I mean, I grew up in New York. All my friends are Knicks fans. I was a Knicks fan growing up. We're reporters now. We have to have some degree of objectivity. He said in the same podcast in which he basically came to tears over a fake Kyle Lowry trade. So sad. So I, I'm not a fan, but like the Knicks are near and dear to my heart. And by the way, like, the Knicks aren't in a totally dissimilar position where I, I don't really know what the direction is, but the Knicks aren't giving away first-round picks. They have extra first-round picks. They're in a position where, like, I mean, I'm just going to throw something totally wild. Feel free to laugh. I'm just 
this is a hypothetical. The Clippers get knocked out in the first round, and Kawhi Leonard wants to go somewhere and pair with another star. Would it be so crazy if he went to the Knicks and said, hey, get me Bradley Beal and I'll sign? I wish I had like one of those laugh track buttons where you could do like the sitcom, like, ha ha ha, or like the, uh, like the ooh, you know, they do all the different things. Uh, that's hilarious, by the way. Um, but like, my, my point is, eventually, there's going to be a star, star that comes available that wants to go to New York, right? Like, just there always is. I mean, Kevin Durant wanted to go to New York. He just went to the competent team in New York. Now yeah, that isn't that the whole thing with the Knicks that like they're always waiting? Like, yeah, we'll get the free but agent. They just never. Now come. they actually they look generally pretty competent. Like, look at the the arc for the Nets, where they were bad for all those years and they had no picks. They made the playoffs once. They were an eight seed once, and then Durant and Irving came. I think what the Knicks are doing now it has people's attention. I don't know if that means they're going to get a star in the next couple months, but I think they're in a position where. All of a sudden, like there's one star free agent and he's looking for a big market home. He might look at New York and say like, okay, I could go there. I could sign for the max and they have enough assets left over to go get me another co-star. Like the Knicks have enough to trade for Bradley Beal right now. It doesn't make sense to do so because if they got Bradley Beal right now, they'd be a 45 win team. But if they got Bradley Beal plus somebody else, now we're talking. That's a plan. And I think that's what the Bulls are trying to do. I know you don't agree with giving up the two first-round picks, but I think they're trying to legitimize themselves as a team that can be attractive to somebody who who they either trade for or end up signing. I guess I just – I'm not sure who that guy is. I don't know like who's super excited about like, yeah, I want to play with 31-year-old Vucevic. Sometimes you just – sometimes you just got to be good. You know, or, or can I also just point out – Chicago, it's a big market. Is it a destination market? Do you ever remember somebody like hearing all the rumors like you did with Durant in New York? Like he really wants to get to Chicago or the way we heard, we've heard with so many guys in LA. It was Wade because he was a hometown guy, but like I can't think of the person over the last decade that like we constantly heard rumors he really wants to get to Chicago. Yeah. And the person that we kind of did hear those rumors with was the hometown guy, Anthony Davis, who signed for five years in LA. Who wouldn't? I, I went to Chicago last year for the All-Star game, and it was freezing cold, and I grew up in L.A. I would never understand why someone would choose to live in Chicago over Los Angeles. But that's just me. Where would you sign if you were a max free agent? Like, just assume that every big market is available. Like, you can go anywhere. What's your team? The Lakers. I mean, I, I get that. I, I mean, from an attachment standpoint, I would pick the Knicks because – I am just one of those people that thinks if you win in New York, it would mean more than winning anywhere else. But if I were to be objective about it, obvious answer is Miami, right? Great city, uh, well, no uh, state income tax. I know you're a South Florida guy, but I, I grew, I, I, I lived there for a year, and uh, I did like Miami. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, were you in Lauderdale? I was. <laughs> you're gonna make fun of me. I was in Hollywood, Florida. It's not. It's it's not not a great I know, place for a young we didn't, man. That's, um, that's not that's not like where we went out. We went out in Miami, but we just didn't like Florida. Florida's not for my, me. My point with Miami is no state income tax, great weather. You know, you can live on the water, live on Biscayne Bay. It'll be gorgeous. And you're playing for a team that constantly knows what it's doing and is constantly improving and could put you in a position to win every year, right? Like, if you're a max free agent, you can go anywhere. You should go to Miami because you're going to compete for titles the entire time, no matter what. Like. The veil of ignorance 
that's what you should be trying to do. But my point is, I don't know how we got onto the Knicks in the first place, but my point with the Knicks is that they're one guy away from being one guy away, which I think is a good place to be in. I don't think Chicago is there. I think and they have two pretty good guys. The Knicks did pick up Terrence Davis, or uh, Terrence Ferguson, excuse me, at the trade deadline. So, hey, things are happening. Okay, just quick aside on that. I actually think the pick that trade was a good trade for them because it took them from $15 million in cap space to $13.5 million in cap space. Nerd alert. Every dollar, every dollar that they can't give to Andre Drummond is a good thing. They want to take that off the table. Like, we can't do I it. Just, Don't worry. It's not fill up your cap space with other stuff. Just, you're not welcome here, Andre. Anyway, we were talking about Los Angeles as a possible destination, and the next trade we're talking about involves the other LA team, the Los Angeles Clippers. And uh, I think um, pretty much everyone who is somewhat peripherally connected with the league had a feeling the Clippers were going to make a move. Uh, I think they wouldn't have been wanting to get off of Lou Williams for a long time. He's having a really bad year and just doesn't really seem to fit there. So they ended up trading him to his hometown Hawks. So he gets, you know, the Magic City reunion, cute Twitter jokes, lemon pepper wings, all that stuff. And in return, they get playoff Rondo coming back to L.A. to play for the other L.A. team and hopefully lead them to a championship uh, my first reaction to this was I was not too happy. I, I'm a, you know, I have to admit, I'm somewhat of a Clippers fan, as I said, I grew up in LA. Uh, I really wanted them to make a move, but Rondo isn't exactly the guy I was thinking of. But, you know, hey, if he's good in the playoffs, that's all that matters, right? Well, I don't want to let the Hawks off of the hook. I think we're going to forget about this Hawks Rondo tenure pretty quickly. I want to point out that a team whose sole goal was to make the playoffs. Gave Rajon Rondo $8 million a year. And if you're trying to just make the playoffs, what that means is you need to win regular season games. Having playoff Rondo doesn't mean much if you're only going to play in the playoffs four or five games and get knocked out in round one. That deal made no sense for them. They signed a playoff player to be a regular season player. It made no sense. But kudos to them because they got two second round picks to get off of the last year of that deal. Rondo's deal is a two-year deal. Lou Williams is expiring. So they save $8 bucks next year. They get two second-round picks, and they get Lou Williams for the stretch run. And, like, it should be pointed out, Atlanta's offense, when Trey Young goes to the bench, 15 points per 100 possessions worth. They, they needed this. They needed to get somebody who can score off of the bench. Obviously, you hope that Bogdanovich is healthy enough to do so. He's been out for most of the year. But they needed a guard who could create his own shot. They got it. Great. Hawks side, done. I, I like it for the Hawks a lot. Yeah, I think Lou Will has uh, been itching to get out of L.A. Uh, to, it's obviously just wasn't working there. Well, he wanted think, to retire in L.A. I think the destination is what made this work because Atlanta is one of the teams that like he would want to play for. Yeah, I mean, they, they train in Atlanta over the summer, him and Montrez Harrell and all this stuff. So he's going to he's going to love it. I think he's going to play well for them. And what you said about him commanding the, the second unit without Trey Young that was what Rondo was supposed to do. Obviously, not by his scoring, but through his, you know, orchestration and all that stuff. And he just hasn't been healthy, and he hasn't been very good when he played because it's the regular season, and that's just what he does now. So, I um, think the Lou Williams Clint Capella pick and roll will be very good. That's a nice basis for a bench offense. Yeah, I think they'll be good. And like you said, Bogdanovich is getting healthy. Gallinari's playing better. I think I, I like it for the Hawks, and they got the the picks and some cash. Now we got to talk about the Clippers and. 
I just want to say, like, I just want to prepare Clippers fans for this. You're going to feel things when you watch Rajon Rondo, and you're going to want to say some mean stuff. As somebody with a lot of bad Rondo takes on my timeline, somebody who really, really disliked watching him every night last year with Lakers, just do yourself a favor and hold off because regular season Rondo and playoff Rondo are completely different entities. And don't get me wrong, I get why people are joking about this. Rondo has been terrible this year. I I have nothing to add to that. He's been one of the worst players in the NBA. He's a different player in the playoffs, and that's what you're hoping for. And let's be realistic about what the Clippers could have gotten and what they needed, right? Like, they were going to be shopping in the bargain aisle. It was going to be somebody like this. It was going to be George Hill. It was not going to be Kyle Lowry. It was not going to be Norm Powell. It was, well, I guess Victor Oladipo, if they could have matched the salary, maybe it could have been him. But they were not going to get some super high-level, consistent, steady superstar. They had to take a risk. And what they needed was playmaking. And I, I hate to say this because Patrick Beverly is so good. They needed a defensive guard who could handle smaller, quicker guards, which Rondo does pretty well. Like he did a very good job in the playoffs last year against Jamal Murray for stretches. You know, he played well defensively against Houston, played well defensively against Miami too. Like he really, he raises the collective basketball IQ of that team. I think if he is the player that he was in the bubble last year, this is probably the best move the Clippers could have made. I don't have much to add, right? Like just remember as you're watching him, score two points and turn the ball over seven times in a regular season game. Just think back to who he was in the playoffs last year and hope that you're getting that guy again, because if you are, this is a great addition for the Clippers. Yeah. And if he shoots 40% from three point line, Hey, more power to him. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, all the things you said, and really this is essentially a playoff move and I, you know, you have to look at it through the lens of what happened last postseason and how they just kind of, completely collapsed against the Nuggets and you have to think a guy like Rondo who's been through all this and is that you know veteran savvy and all that stuff their hope is that he's not going to let something like that happen again he's going to keep this team tough and motivated and and be able to do things on the court to help them win in these in these playoff games so it also kind of frees up Luke Kennard a little bit uh, to be more of that bench scorer him and Lou Williams were pretty redundant on the bench. So, um, you know, Rondo obviously isn't a scoring guard, um, except when he's cashing threes, but I think Kennard is kind of poised to, to step into that role now and kind of empower him a little bit. So it, the move made sense to me, um, is just a little underwhelming, but like we've talked about in this podcast before, the Clippers just didn't have many options. Like they had limited amount of salary they could send out and, um, it, it, we they they just weren't going to make a big splash. So um, I guess I'm excited, maybe, for the playoffs. Kennard, by the way, played 25 minutes tonight. So maybe Tyler Stunned. was starting to come around. Now, Stunned. there was the skeleton crew. Kawhi didn't play. A couple other guys didn't play. So maybe he didn't have a choice. I also want to just point out one last thing about Rondo. He is great at initiating fast breaks, and the Clippers just straight up do not run. Like, there are a lot of reasons for this. Some of these better than others, but... The Clippers really don't make life easy for themselves on offense. It is all jump shots. They don't get to the basket, no fast breaks, none of that. It is all jump shots. And Rondo will at least help them diversify a little bit, help them get out and transition, probably run some more pick and roll for them. I mean, they don't really have great, you know, lob threats and they don't have as diverse a pick and roll scorer as Montrezl Harrell, but I think he can really open up the offense for them and 
help them start to do some different things. Yeah, like Terrence Mann is suddenly going to get like 16 transition points a game. Terrence Mann strikes me as the guy that nobody's heard of but has a big playoff game or two. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ty Lue loves him. Absolutely. He jumped Kennard in the rotation. That's that's why Kennard hadn't been right. playing. So, um, yeah, he's definitely going to be a playoff guy. I could, I could see that happening for sure. Speaking I'm of starting to talk guys, myself into this, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm starting to really like this for the Clippers. I think I, I might know, be alone. I weird. might have to write about this. And like we talked about uh, off air, like all of the former players who are on TV like love this move. They all are like, yes, Rondo is a game changer. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna get the respect of Kawhi and Paul George. He's gonna take this team to another level, make them tough. So, well, hey, I mean, we'll might argue with we don't always player. agree with them. Like, don't get me wrong. I think sometimes former players have a type. They have certain kinds of players that they like more than others. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. I think this is an instance where, like, they might know something that we don't. That, that team, they had chemistry problems last year. It was no secret. I don't think adding a bit of leadership is the worst thing for them. Like, it, it makes sense for me. I mean, he's clearly going to be the loudest guy in that locker room. The Lakers all love him, and they swear by him. I mean, the young guys, too, even, like, back the first year before they got Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma swore by him as, like, a teacher. As somebody who would watch film with him and help him understand the game. I mean, he's a it's weird to call him a great locker room guy because he's not super gregarious, but his teammates all love him and swear by him. Yeah, and he's, you know, the type of guy that if he's on the court, people are going to respect him because of what he's accomplished. And I think that you know, there was all that drama with Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell and, and you know, all the preferential treatment Kawhi was getting and all that stuff. I think I saw Lou Williams was like basically the last guy from that team that played well against the Warriors in the first round uh, before Kawhi got there. So I think you're right. I think, yeah, I, I think he was the last guy that was left over. I'm gonna right. So, so it's a complete turnaround now and you can start fresh and say, look, this is our team now. Beverly is have... left over. That's he's the one. Oh, Pat. Be- <laughs> yeah. Well, he's probably got some residual uh, feelings about that, but um yeah, I, I think it's a, it was a good move to turn the page. I don't know if Rondo's the right guy, but if you're talking about a team whose success is solely judged by playoffs, uh, I guess that's probably a good idea to get a guy whose nickname is Playoff Rondo. National TV Rondo, too. Like, hey, maybe he'll help them in the seating. And like quietly, they could use some help in seating. They're in fourth right now, right? Yeah, they just want to avoid the Lakers in the first round. Right. Depending well, on that's what the end game is, right? Yeah. Like the Lakers are going to hunt them down like the Predator. They're going to lose extra games at the end of the year if it means getting them. Like the Lakers want that first round matchup pretty badly. Yeah, they're like please just let us take them down. Uh, moving on, another big move. The other Raptor who did end up getting traded, Norm Powell, and uh, he was rumored to have multiple, multiple dozens almost of suitors. I think the report we heard was in the teens. In the teens, that's just a very vague, you know, could be 13, could be 19, who knows? And we didn't hear who any of them were, by the way. That was the best part. <laughs> we kept hearing from Woj and from Stein and from all the insiders, oh, my God, every team wants Storm Powell. Great, name one. Name one. Name a single team. Well, apparently one of them was the Portland Trailblazers because they are, they are the team that ended up getting him. In a, I'll just say, curious trade, uh, they sent Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood out and they got Norman Powell. Um, Norman Powell is having a tremendous year, averaging 20 points a game, shooting like 43% from three. Uh, breakout season, he does not play well off the bench, but when he starts, he's incredible. Um, the thing that 
kind of alarmed me about this trade was that the Blazers spent so much time in the offseason kind of building up their wings because they had no wings last year. So they added Covington. Uh, they added Rodney Hood. Gary Trent got a lot better. Uh, now they gave away two of those guys and got Norman Powell, who is a, a, a plays small forward sometimes for the Raptors, but he's like 6'3". So now you're putting McCollum, Lillard, and Norman Powell next to each other. Uh, that's a very tiny backcourt slash wing rotation and I guess you're just going in all, all in on offense at this point and saying let's just outscore teams because the defense isn't going to be good anyway uh, but it was a little it was a little confusing to me for the Blazers to make this move particularly because Gary Trent Jr. has played really well this season couple of nerd notes first of all just for our hardcore fans out there Colin do you remember what I believe our first episode was if not our second Oh, you t- yes, the Rodney Hood, Rodney the, Hood gate. Yes, um, for those who do not, who maybe started listening later or who don't, you know, take copious notes on every podcast we do. One of the sure. first episodes we released was the likeliest players to get traded this year. My number one, literally my number one, who I had to beg Colin not to take with the first pick in our fictional draft ahead of doing that pod was Rodney Hood. Because Rodney Hood signed a really weird contract where – For those who don't keep up with this stuff, Rodney Hood tore his Achilles last year. He had a $6 million player option. And generally, when you have a player option coming off of a torn Achilles, you pick it up and you take the guaranteed money. He opted out of it, which was very strange. It made me think he probably is a bad agent. Then he signed for $10 million, and that was even stranger. Why would they give him a raise off of a torn Achilles? Then it made sense. The second season, non-guaranteed makes it the most tradable contract in the NBA. And sure enough, it's been traded. The Raptors, or rather the Blazers, essentially trade a $2 million player in in Gary Trent for a $12 million player in Norman Powell because they have that hood deal to trade. So bravo to the Blazers, good planning by them. Here's my other nerd note, and we can get into the Portland side of this a little bit later. This is quietly a really smart move for Toronto. They, this offseason, we've talked about Norman Powell being somebody who is going to leave because he has a high cap hold and he has a player option that he's likely to decline. Gary Trent is also a free agent this offseason. He's a restricted free agent. So great, you can match any offer. You're not going to lose him. More importantly, Norm Powell is coming off of a market value contract. Gary Trent is coming off of a rookie contract, a second round pick rookie contract. He's only making $2 million this year. His cap hold is tiny. For the Raptors, That means you can keep him on the books for that tiny cap hold, which is only around $2 million. Spend all of your cap space first and then sign him to a new deal. So essentially, you are getting to keep your Norman Powell quality player. If you assume that Trent and Powell are roughly equivalent as players, you get to keep that player in a much more cap favorable situation where now you can spend max cap space and not just let Powell walk for nothing. You can spend your max cap space keep Gary Trent, re-sign him afterward, and that's just a great bit of business for the Raptors. They went from being in a situation where they were going to have max cap space and only three core players and an OBC Ackman Van Vliet. Now they have max cap space and four. And you add Gary Trent to that, who I think it's safe to say he's a core player for them, right? Like, he's going to be a long-term starter for them. Very good defender, very good shooter. I love, I love exactly his fit the kind of guy that Toronto, yeah. He is exactly the kind of guy that Toronto loves. Toronto's whole gimmick when they won the championship was everybody shoots and everybody defends. Trent fits into that perfectly. Pretty high IQ player. Nick Nurse is going to love him. 
It's amazing. And, you know, we can almost say that, like, you know, the Raptors were expected to be this kind of seller at the deadline. And now they still have Lowry and they made this pretty true deal for Trent. They they might have kind of been a buyer and actually came out on top. I'll take it. it one step further. They cleared two roster spots seemingly in anticipation for a Lowry trade. They gave away Terrence Davis and they gave away Matt Thomas. We thought that was to prepare for an unbalanced Kyle Lowry trade. But they didn't trade Kyle Lowry. So now they just have these two roster spots. What if they use them in the buyout market? What if they get another player or two who's pretty good? They could use a center. You know, yeah, we've seen the list of teams that Andre Drummond is going to meet with. Andre Drummond would make sense for the Raptors. He'd start for them. Yeah, he'd get a lot of playing time. But I think, you know what, I'll just say it. I think if he's not going to get the long-term Knicks contract, his best chance to ply his wares and really like show off for future potential teams would be to sign with the Raptors and the Raptors wanted to trade for him, right? They just couldn't get the money together. Yeah. That, that was rumored for a very long time. So moving over to the Blazers sixth in the West right now, 26 and 18, they're tied with the Nuggets. Um, does this make them better? I don't know. Probably not. You know, they were ranked 29th on defense and they just traded Covington's probably their best defender. Derek Jones is probably second. Their third best defender, right? You're ranked 29th in defense and you're downgrading on defense? That doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, they have Lillard and McCollum. Why do they need another, you know, fire, like, flamethrower guard? Like, they have all the perimeter scoring that they need. I don't really understand this for them. I mean, Norm Powell's a good player. Like, I'm sure they'd love to have Norm Powell. My one thought, and this is the really ambitious part of me, do you think there's any chance they're thinking Powell is a long-term starter for us, and maybe we're going to explore McCollum deals this offseason. Because right now they're a six seed, and six seed's not good enough. You're not going to win anything from the six unless you're the Lakers. So, well, I mean they're a six seed, but they've they've had McCollum out and Nurkic out for most of the year. So I think uh, in some level they're probably thinking, all right, we get Nurkic back. That'll help shore up the defense a little bit. Um, and they're I also lose think in the first round again. I also right? think that they're thinking that. Uh, you know, when Dame gets trapped, when McCollum gets trapped, whatever, they have another guy to dump the ball off to. The problem is Powell's a scorer. He's certainly not a playmaker. <laughs> like, he doesn't really pass the ball. So uh, normally you want that guy who gets the, the dump off from the trap to be able to be a playmaker and work four on three or, you know, whatever. But it, it's uh, probably not the right guy for that. But you do have another scorer who's capable of, of putting up big numbers. So... Uh, again, I don't, I don't really get it. I don't think this move makes them really any better, if maybe even a little bit worse. Um, it was very odd for me. I'm trying to find an explanation, and the best that I can come up with is that they knew what Gary Trent was going to ask for this offseason, and they just knew we were, we're never going to pay that. Yeah. I don't know what Gary Trent's asking for. I mean, personally, given his low cap hold, he has a lot more value to a team that's going to use cap space, but I would have felt comfortable paying Gary Trent starter money. I, I think he's a good starter. And they're going to have to pay Powell, too. Like, what if they just lose Powell for nothing? I mean, he's unrestricted. You really might just lose him for nothing. He's going to be very expensive in this, like, wide-open market with all this space and no good players. So I really don't get this. I have to believe that they have something longer-term planned for this because he just doesn't really make sense with Lillard and McCollum. He's a good player. And the Blazers, by the way, like, they've done this a lot, right, where they bring in players that you look at and say – well, this roster doesn't make sense. They don't have any wings, you know. This is a weird roster that doesn't really make sense. They kind of just 
their their attitude as an organization tends to be, let's just bring in good players and we'll make it work. Like they did it with Carmelo too, right? Like everybody else thought, oh, Carmelo, we can't defend anymore. Carmelo, he's not going to buy into a lower role. They just, they, they said, sure, we'll try it out. I guess that's what they're doing here. Maybe they just didn't think they were re-signing Trent, but I don't have a good explanation. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it was odd. And it's kind of weird when you think about other teams that might have wanted Powell. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, we kind of talked about George Hill already going to the Sixers. Do you have anything to add in that deal? Not, I mean, I, I think it's fine. I think it helps them. I, I Their bench is weird in that they have now six players that I trust, the five starters and George Hill. Seven through 11, I have no idea what to do with. And I kind of wish they just had two guys that like really stood out. I mean, I guess Thibel is one of them, but... Yeah, I, I don't think depth was really – I mean, depth was a problem for them, but I think they needed a starting upgrade. Yeah, and you also kind of – you need like a, a playmaker, like a half-court playmaker, and that's not really George Hill at this point in his career. He's a, he's a very good you know, spot-up shooter. And uh, I will say the benefit to this is I watched Danny Green through an entire playoff run last year. Danny Green is – he runs pretty hot and cold, let's say, and you don't want to be in a position where you're in the last five minutes of a playoff game and teams are sagging off of Danny Green. I think with George Hill in the game, at the very least, defenders have to pay attention to him. They obviously can't leave Seth Curry alone for a second, and they can't leave Tobias Harris. So maybe the argument is you close with George Hill, and now Ben Simmons has three awesome shooters around him with Embiid. That maybe that opens up the offense a bit. Yeah, and he, you know, he's a guy who's he's performed in the last couple of playoff runs with the with the Bucks. He was, you know playing pretty took Eric Bledsoe's spot basically in the crunch time lineup so guy who's been there done that I like it uh, we don't need to spend too much time on that the last move that's kind of of significance you know I don't want to besmirch the Brad make Brad Wanamaker to Hornets move or you know Matt Thomas going to the Jazz anything like that but kind of minor deals the last one that kind of could have some real significance is JJ Redick who we thought was heading to the buyout market and headed for the Brooklyn Nets you know where he keeps a home uh, it seemed like everything was lining up. Uh, boom, the Mavs sweep in. They get Redick, they get Nico Melli, and they give up James Johnson, West of Wundu, second round pick and cash. Now J.J. Redick's on the Mavericks. So, you know, they seemingly made a defense for offense trade when they traded Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. Now they kind of replace Curry's shooting with J.J. Redick, and they still have Richardson. So, I mean, on paper, seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, Redick hasn't played particularly well this season. I think Rick Carlisle is a perfect coach for him. My one question is, like, the best use for J.J. Redick is with a smart, like, a high IQ passing big man who you can really run good DHOs with. The Mavs don't really have that. Like, I don't know. I'm not super excited about Chris Stapps Porzingis as a DHO guy. I will say— Has he ever done that before? He's never really had a shooter. Like, <laughs> I, I guess Curry last year, Just but trying to picture that's him not in really my head. the doing that. Right, like, that's not really what it. Dallas does. Um, that's not really their system. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a good addition. I think it, we should point out that JJ probably isn't very happy about this. And like, imagine thinking, this is great. I'm going to get to go compete for a championship on one of the title favorites with my family living in the proper city. Like, Think about how often athletes have to move. How often in the middle of the season can a guy change teams, go to maybe the best team, and also be in the same place as his family? He was minutes away from being able to do that. And the Mavericks swoop in at the last second and seal him. Now he's going to Texas, and he's going to Texas to play for a team that's currently in the play-in. 
I will say silver lining to this. I JJ is going to be a media guy when this is when he retires. I mean, he's going to be very good at it. He already is very good at it. His podcast is excellent. Um, look at the arc of his career. Like, look at the guys that he's played with. Starts peak Dwight Howard. Then he goes to peak Chris Paul. Then he goes to Joel Embiid. Then he goes to Zion. Now he goes to Luca. Like. We're going to get to a point where, like, he'll have played with everybody. He'll have stories from everybody. Just leaving out just... Chris Paul and Blake Griffin? Well, I said Chris Paul. Oh, did you? I didn't say Blake Griffin. I said Chris Paul. He'll you know what's Blake... funny? When you said Chris Paul, I thought of Hornets, not Clippers. I'm oh. such an idiot. Well, he'll go to Brooklyn next year and play with Blake again next year. Like, by the time this dude retires, he's going to have played with everybody at some point or another. And playing with Luca, I mean... Come on, that's got to be fun. That's like a cool bucket list item, right? Absolutely. And Zion, too. Um, JJ's had a cool career. I hope he gets a ring at some point. It's not likely in Dallas, but I don't know. Maybe he signs with Brooklyn or the Lakers next year. Like, who knows? But he's had a cool career. And even if, like, he probably wanted to go to Brooklyn, it's not a great consolation prize because you're going to be out in round one. But I guess, you know, you get to your offseason earlier. He can go go to Brooklyn then and attend games as fans. Does this do anything for the Mavericks, you think? They were already, you know, one of the hotter teams in the league, starting to play well, starting to move up the standings. Does this make any difference for you, or it's just kind of like, hey, it's a nice piece, but not gonna really going to make any They're going to lose in the play-in, or they're going to lose in round one, right? Like, they're, they're not beating, like, Phoenix in the seven-game series. They're not beating the Lakers. Although, I guess the Lakers are going to be on their side of the bracket, so. I don't, they might, I, be, they not, might be ahead of the Lakers. Who knows? I mean, I wouldn't be super enthused about Dallas. I think that's a team that needs an offseason to figure out everything that's weird with that roster. Like, I don't think they do. They did need shooting. They didn't need, like, 37-year-old shooting. They needed, like, a core piece who could, like, be a starter for them and give them the Seth Curry caliber shooting. Right, and there's a, a non-zero percent chance that J.J. Redick is just washed, right? Right. <laughs> like, like, it's just, he I'm saying just he might, part of me saying, oh, he's going to play for Brooklyn next year. Brooklyn might not want him next year. Like, maybe he's just not that good. Their roster yeah. spots are pretty valuable. Yeah, we kind of have this thought in our heads, this kind of romanticism about shooting. Like, yeah, if you can shoot, you can stay in the league forever. But it's like, it does go at some point. And especially well, a guy like Redick, who's always moving and running off screens and fast twitch muscles and all that stuff. Uh, you know, well, always might affect him a little bit more. When your legs go, your shot goes, right? Like, if you can't, like, get up and generate enough power, like, you're just going to fall short. Like, Especially, you're right. He JJ is like for years was the premier motion shooter in the NBA. Like, go look at the threes that he takes. It's very rarely just like a simple catch and shoot from the corner. Like that dude is shooting from all angles. Like that dude is running around screens. I, I think he's somebody who you're right. Like the shot just might be gone because his body isn't there anymore, and that's okay. He was a great shooter for 15 years, but he might just be washed. One of the most beautiful things is watching Redick going to his right, which is difficult for most shooters, and kind of he jumps and he squares in the air as he's shooting, and just it's like a perfect switch. It's one of the most beautiful things to watch on a basketball court. He's so good at just angling his shoulders in, like, nanoseconds, right? Like, he's just, if you're a young shooter, watch that dude if you want to learn how to move off the ball. He's terrific. I might need to do that once I'm allowed back on a basketball court to play. God, I miss well, remember, it. It's, Colin, it's been over a year, man. We are no, we are now NBA-aged players, so like our time playing is it's it's probably running thin. How often did you play pickup before this? 
Uh, I played in a league, an old man league with a bunch of attorneys. Uh, so I played that. How did you on... meet these attorneys? Why aren't you in a journalist league? I I moved to where I currently live. I don't want to say on on air because I might get stalked, you know. Um, but I didn't know anybody here, so I emailed the local rec center who had a basketball league, and I was like, I don't know anybody. I want to play on a team. Are there any teams that need a player? And they put me in touch with these guys, and they're awesome. So it actually nice. worked out really well. Um, but I, I would play pickup. I would try to play like once a week in between because I played on Sundays, so I'd try to play on like Thursdays or something just to stay fresh. But it's tough. I haven't man. played a super serious game of. I was gonna say pickup basketball, but maybe any pickup sport. Several years, man. It's it's been a while. I mean, the pandemic pandemic hasn't helped, but I don't know. It's been a while since I've actually played anything. I think if I were going to play a sport competitively again at this age, I'd probably go softball, you know, a little easier on the knees, probably good for self-esteem too. You know, like it's just, it feels good to hit a ball super far. So I don't think I have, I don't think my knees have basketball left in them. I think my playing days are over. I might have to go with something a little lower impact. The only thing I'm not a softball guy, you know, I played college baseball, so it's a little different. Um, But I will say if you do end up playing softball, whatever you do, do not let them put you in the infield. It is just 90 mile an hour ground balls at your shins for for seven innings. It's terrible. Don't don't ever play in the field. As somebody, I played baseball, so like, you know, it wasn't the end of the world if somebody had a ground ball at me, but you're right. Like, dodgeball is like, or not a dodgeball, a softball is like the size of a grapefruit. Like, those things are big. That thing comes at you that quickly. Like, that's that's kind of a projectile. And it's the all dirt infields, and you get bad hops. It's a a nightmare. You know what? That's a good idea. You know what I'm going to say? You know, back in my heyday, I was the best center fielder in Miami Country Day um, history. So that's where you want to put me. Boom. Outfield. That's good. Also, I'm just going to say squash. Not bad. I love racquetball. Yeah, racquetball is good too. So I, when I was in high school, I had a friend who lived in a nice building that had a racquetball court. We didn't like actually know the rules, but we would go there and play pretty often. It's great exercise. Like you don't realize how many calories you're burning, but like you got to move to play racquetball or squash. So yeah, maybe that's my old man's fun. sport. And it has kind of the same thing you're saying, like hitting a baseball, like you get to smack the crap out of the ball. So it gets a little relief there. Uh, I have golfed. I would not say that I golf. I'm really, really bad. My problem is, you know, as a baseball player, I just want to like yeah. hit the crap out of the ball off the tee, and like the rest of the game, I can kind of take or leave. Right. No, that makes sense. So, just letting people behind the curtains a little bit. I went to stay with family during the pandemic because I lived in New York City. My parents live on a golf course, and yet I have never once actually played golf. So what? Great. Yeah. Literally, I've never once like played 18 holes of golf. I played mini golf. I've just never bothered to learn like how to drive and what the like the motion is when you hit a golf ball. So it's, I should do that. I've played many, many sports in my life. It's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. And yet it's the one that people play until they're 90. It takes practice. Like if, if I practiced, I have no doubt that I could be decent at it. But like to just go out and be like, hey, I'm an athlete. I can do this. No, it doesn't work. The ball just goes sideways. Yeah, I, I think I might eventually have to pick that up. But I think for now, I'm still in my 20s. I think softball is probably the move or maybe more racquetball again. Well, we are talking about old man recreational sports. So I think that is as good. Well, JJ's going to have to pick up those sports pretty soon, right? Like he's not going to be basketball forever. If he can get out of the wheelchair, but (laughs) that's as good a side as any to wrap this up. Sam, just 
Any final thoughts on trade deadline 2021 now so, that it's coming on? We talked about Brooklyn peripherally a lot. I do find it interesting that we probably, everybody agrees, Brooklyn and the Lakers are the two favorites. Like, order them however you want. Those are the teams we expect to make the finals. They they didn't do anything, right? Like, the Nets could have traded Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, looking at what George Hill went for, they probably could have traded Dinwiddie for Hill. Or they could have traded Dinwiddie in a second or two to get George Hill. They could have traded Dinwiddie for maybe Trevor Ariza. Like, there were a number of guys they could have moved him for, and they didn't. And the Lakers stood pat as well. Like, I think it's interesting that the two best teams were both content to stand pat, and the teams underneath them tried to close the gap a little bit. I don't know how much they did it. I think you pointed out with Denver. I think Denver probably made significant inroads, and maybe they have a chance now. Or Miami's the other one. Like, maybe Miami is a shot now. But I'm just a little fascinated. I would have thought the Lakers and the Nets would have been more aggressive, and they weren't. I agree, and I think my team that was inactive is the Warriors because obviously I'm out here and I, I kind of cover them. Uh, I thought, you know, the, I guess the options just weren't there, but Kelly Oubre, uh, particularly with his comments recently, make it seem like he's probably not going to resign, at least not at a cheap number for the Warriors. So for them to kind of hang on to him and not not try to trade, which was pretty much their only tradable contract, was a, a little weird, and it's going to be interesting to see what they, they also, the next season with. They didn't use the Clay Thompson DPE. Now they could use it on the buyout market, but I would have thought like the thing to do is get a salary in there that you can resign this offseason. Yeah, like, and they, they traded away uh, Wanamaker and Marquise Chris, so they're opening up roster spots so, to see and they're if they saving, get anything. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're saving um, tax dollars as well. Like Maybe they just they don't spend that money. But uh, yeah, I, I would have thought that the key problem for them if they lose Ubre is you lose matching salary in a trade, like all of a sudden, well, nobody wants the Wiggins contract and Curry, Draymond and Clay are untouchable. It's like, where are you getting your salary for whatever big trade you want to make at that? Right. Point? You need and then it's like contract. it's Wiseman in the pick and you kind of have to include Wiggins and, you know, Team X might not want to take Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, especially if there's a better offer on the table from, you know, like the Pelicans or somebody like that. Denver, as we discussed, Miami, as we discussed, like whoever the next star is to become available, those teams are going to have options. We're already looking towards the summer. We're already looking towards next trade deadline. That's the beauty of this sport is that it never ends. We're always looking forward. Sam, please, for the love of God, get some sleep. I have a couple more hours of work ahead of me, but then I am off this weekend. And hopefully the buyout market will let me relax. But if Drummond or Aldridge do anything interesting enough, I might have to hop back in. Put your phone on silent. We'll come back next week and talk about the buyout market. So thank you so much for joining me and uh, congratulations on getting through the trade deadline. Colin, pleasure as always. Now we get to go through that glorious part of the season where teams start to really aggressively tank and we look at starting lineup and say, wait, I've heard of two of these guys. Looking forward to those late April games. <laughs>